Amen. We're going to get into our Bible study tonight. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm thankful for the Word of God. Aren't you glad for the Word tonight? Yes, Amen. His Word will, uh, will stand the test. I'm going to say it has stood the test. Praise God. And there's a lot of people, amen, that have taken the Word and, and perverted it. They've taken the Word and they've, uh, they've tried to uh, make it their own. They've written their own. Uh, their own Bible, if you will, based off of this Bible, amen, His Word, praise God, I'm glad tonight, amen, for the living Word of God, amen, praise the Lord, that does not, amen, change, even though uh, uh, the world's changing, amen, even though the culture changes, even though people's minds change, praise God, the, uh, the times change, His Word does not change, and that's why uh, Bible study, amen, the uh, you know, we just finished last, well, this is February now, I guess we finished in December, uh, the days of Noah, and then while we're getting ready to start tonight, this is why you can look in the Word of God, and you can see the things that are taking place in the Word, uh, and because He doesn't change, and the Word doesn't change, uh, then you can apply the Word to whatever time, whatever generation, whatever culture, whatever uh, uh, season that it might be, you can apply that Word, and so... I'm just thankful tonight for the word of God that will keep us. Amen. Praise the Lord. I love to feel the overflow. I believe that God gives us emotions to express our joy and to express uh, 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 the excitement of our salvation. Amen. The Bible tells us to leap for joy, tells us to dance with all of our might, tells us to lift our hands, tells us to shout with a voice of triumph. I love all of that. I believe in all of that. I believe that is uh, an essential part of keeping our faith strong. Amen. But I'll tell you what. When uh, it's the middle of the night, uh, about 3 o'clock in the morning, amen, and you feel the pressure, amen, of darkness and the enemy trying to war against your mind. I'm not telling you that uh, your praise from that day will not be effective, but I'm telling you, it's the Word of God that is going to, uh, amen, get you through that time, amen, and you got to have that Word, amen, written on the tablets of your heart, and so uh, we're thankful tonight, again, welcome everybody, glad you're here tonight, uh, and so we uh, started at the, in the fall of last year, uh, on a Bible study, the days of Noah, and we had so many uh, people that uh, expressed when we were Finishing with that, that they would like to continue uh, on some Bible study on Thursday nights during our midweek worship. So uh, that's what we're going to do tonight. So tonight we're uh, we're going to be back in the Book of Genesis, and I'll tell you that you know you can you can read the Book of Genesis and you can read through it, and it may just sound like a bunch of stories to you, but when you really get in the Word and you begin to break it down, you begin to study it, you begin to understand. The language of God, you begin to understand the context in which uh, the, these scriptures were written and uh, understand uh, the things that are there spiritually, you'll, you'll get, I, I call them undertones, you'll begin to get the undertones of what's happening and then all you have to do is replace the characters <laughs> uh, of today with uh, the characters in that story and you're really going to see a lot of the same thing, amen, because there is something new under the sun. There's just more people, more world uh, to uh, that has access and that is able to either respond to the word or resist it, amen. And so uh, tonight we're going to be back in the book of Genesis. Now I will tell you for this first, uh, this first 
uh, a night here in this setting. We're, what we're going to study is, begin studying, is the effects of the Tower of Babel. Amen. The effects of the Tower of Babel. You say, well, uh, what would that have to do with uh, the times that we're living in? Well, I'm glad you asked because that's why we're here to do the study. And so uh, uh, for us to see the effects and the, um, the things that took place in the Word, and Jesus said, right, as we said before in the last study, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. So we, we, we can see and we can grasp the hold of some things. So I will tell you that tonight in this beginning of this Bible study, because of the nature of this study and because of the things that uh, we were, we're going to be talking about, specifically with the Tower of Babel uh, and specifically with, you know, uh, you know we left... Uh, the last Bible study, Noah was saved. His family, they uh, came off the ark, right? Uh, and life began to uh, happen again and evolve. Now we're going to uh, we're going to move into and look at as the world began to be, uh, as they began to multiply and the world began to be populated again and things began to take place. We're going to kind of look at uh, some of the things uh, that moved up to that and some of the people that were pretty uh, uh, prominent in that, uh, and, and I don't want to say characters, but it's kind of the, it's kind of that thing. Uh, but because of that, uh, I want I'm not going to be in a lot of scripture tonight, as far as uh, breaking down a lot of scripture, uh, because of the nature uh, of this study, and uh, I kind of got to go back and talk about uh, some history and some things that are more relevant to us today than what they were then before we get into that. So I just want to uh, warn you of that, that you know me, I, I believe we're going to lay a foundation. Amen. Context is important, right? It's important to understand why those scriptures were written, why they said what they said, who they were being said to, uh, who was going to be looking and reading them later, uh, all of those types of things. And so uh, I, I want you to, to just to have that uh, understanding tonight as we go into this and move into them and talking about a lot of our history, I don't say a lot, but uh, more of, uh, of our history that leads up to where we are, uh, and then we're going to move into uh, the scriptures more as we get on to uh, the, the further end of the studies. Uh, and so we will be in some scripture tonight, so you can uh, have your Bible ready if you have that, but I encourage you as always to take notes uh, and uh, again to Keep things uh, uh, set in your mind so that you can uh, get the lay of what we're saying tonight, amen, moving into this study. How many knows that God is a God of patterns? God is a God uh, of patterns. He is a God that repeats. Uh, there are cycles. Again, this is why you see fads, and there's only so many fads, and we're getting, you know, you're seeing what? What are we in the 70s and 80s again now? We're seeing the 70s and 80s that begin to show up in uh, 2024, right? We're seeing like, some 70s stuff, some 80s things, and people are like, oh, yeah, you know, that's cool again. We're back to bell-bottom pants and uh, those kind of things. I'm still struggling with that, so you'll just have to pray me through that. I'm still struggling with the, with the, wide, uh, with the wide bottoms, amen. But uh, anyhow, I'm old, though, so, we, you know, you get it. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know, that's why we see things repeat themselves. God is a God of cycles. He's a God of patterns. And so we can see that. And what is good about that and what is important about that is when you begin to understand that, 
And then you begin to understand the scriptures. You begin to understand God's uh, a way of thinking. You begin to understand his language some. You begin to realize uh, uh, the whys of what he does and uh, the things that he did to get things set up to where we are now with the plan of salvation, with the covenant of God. Uh, it makes, uh, it, maybe it's only me, but it makes serving God uh, a little more uh, less complex. I started to say easier, but I'll, I won't throw that out there right now. But for me, I feel like it's easier to say yes to the Lord. It's easier to say, okay, God, I don't understand this, but I know you. And I know that your ways are way above mine. And so I can trust you with this because I've watched you and I've seen you do it. And I know you're up to something because you're a God of patterns. And because you're a God that works in cycles. And because you're a God that shows us and gives us signs. And we even have symbols in the word of God. Things that we can see because of that God. I know you're doing something. So I'm going to trust you and I'm going to rely upon not my understanding, but your understanding. And so I'll just keep taking steps until you give me clarity, until you give me wisdom, right? Because the footsteps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. What makes us good? The blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? When none of us are intrinsically of any kind of value, we are no good in the eyes of uh, of what good means, but by the blood of Jesus Christ, He has made us justified. Amen? Jesus said there's none good, none but the Father. Amen? And so I'm thankful tonight that God gives us instruction and gives us these things. And so uh, we're going to go into, I don't even know that I'll use this a lot tonight either, but I brought it out just because you never know. Amen? We might get the urge to write, uh, and I know that uh, I want, it's there and we can use that. So uh, I want us to uh, kind of go back, and I, and I think, keep in mind that we are talking about the Tower of Babel. Everybody think tower. Everybody say tower. Okay? A tower is a tower is a tower. There's no hidden thing in there. Uh, and so uh, keep that in mind. Keep that uh, in the back of your mind as we are setting the, the ground and laying the foundation tonight. And as we move forward, that we're speaking about the Tower of Babel. And so as we get into, we talked some in our Bible study on the days of Noah, how that uh, our, our industrial uh, industrialization grew in the earth and in the world even in the days of Noah, and they began to invent things, they began to create things, and as we, uh, our world evolved, and as we uh, began to see generations follow those patterns, and begin to see uh, generations follow those spiritual patterns, there was also uh, uh, patterns in the world and things, and so uh, as the world began to industrialize, as we began to see things uh, you know, I wasn't around and uh, when some of those things begin to take place. But when you begin to see uh, all of those things uh, uh, take place and uh, you begin to see things uh, uh, move forward, then uh, uh, we realize that, uh, again, it all goes back to God. God's the one that gives us the knowledge. God's the one that gives man the ability. We talk about science. God created science. Science is a God-given thing. Man discovered it. Okay, does that make sense to you? God created science. Man has discovered it. Now, man's uh, ideas on science are not all biblical. 
and they're not all God centered. So you've got to keep that in mind. So when you when I say science, I don't want you freaking out like, oh my gosh, he's new age or he's talking about, you know, we've told you before, God created science, he made it. Uh, and so man has just discovered it. And he gives us the knowledge and the wisdom and the understanding and the ability uh, to think about those things. And not everyone has the same IQ, right? Not everyone thinks the same way. There are only certain ways of thinking, but not everybody thinks the same way. And even those that, uh, you know, there might be three or four analytical thinkers in one room. I'm an analytical thinker. I will confess that. I analyze a lot. I suspect that's really tough when you're, uh, when you're walking in the Spirit. Because, uh, again, trusting the Lord, you can't analyze everything. Things don't make sense. But you can put three analytical thinkers in the same room, and they're all going to apply the analyzation that they do differently. So you're still going to come up with uh, different things. And so uh, as we look at uh, uh, how the world evolved and how that things began to come about, then we're going to start seeing the patterns. And so in the, uh, in the 1900s, when we begin to see uh, how many remembers Pan American Airlines, amen, they're, they're no longer around, amen, but uh, they went around uh, for a while. They were, they were really the first airline, and they were the symbol of American dominance. They dominated uh, of that world. They made trips across the world available. They were one of the first ones to uh, make that available. And their symbol was a blue globe for that reason. So uh, uh, they were very uh, dominant as far as uh, airline and air travel. And so uh, they built what was called Terminal Number 3, uh, also referred to as World Port. That was something that they built, and that opened in 1960, and that was a very, very dramatic building. Uh, the Terminal Number 3, that world port, you can go on and research it and look. Uh, JFK there at the airport, different things of that uh, nature were uh, really connected there to uh, uh, Terminal Number 3. So uh, they built a very, very dramatic building. Uh, there and that was something that was made them stand out. That was something that gave them even more dominance. That made them even more prominent. Uh, and when uh, you begin uh, around the same time, you can uh, we can see that the New York, the state of New York, was laid out on a grid. The streets uh, were running east and west, and the avenues ran north and south. I'm geographically challenged, so I don't know if I'm doing that right or not, but you get it, right? The, uh, the streets ran uh, east and west, and the avenues ran north and south. Now, buildings were on that grid. There were buildings that are literally on the grid of the city of New York, uh, so much so that you could look down a street and uh, see almost across uh, Manhattan on many of those streets. On some of those streets, you can look down one street and almost see all the way across Manhattan. That's how they got the term Concrete Canyon. I don't know if you've ever heard that before, that uh, they were called the Concrete Canyon. Now, there was a building. You said, why are you telling me that? I'm glad you asked. Because there was a building outside the grid that was in the middle of an avenue. That address was 200 Park Avenue, and that was the Pan Am building. That building was built in 1963, and this is when the Pan American Airlines were at the height of their financial success. So now they have 
they have built Terminal Number Three, uh, one of the first of its kind, uh, if you would say, uh, uh, airports or world port there that gave them the world dominance. And then in 1963, when they were at the height of their financial success, they put a building uh, in New York that was outside of the grid. So keep in mind, all the other buildings, uh, most of the other buildings in New York could be found on that grid. But the Pan American uh, headquarters could not be found on the grid. And we can, you can look it up and see on the north and south uh, top of the building, there was the, uh, the name Pan Am. And then uh, on the ends of the building was the blue globe. So the point being is such as this was such a, a big building. It was a building that was off the grid. It was a building that was unlike any of its kind at that time. And so when you uh, look at all the other buildings, this building would stand out. And you would not have any uh, trouble knowing what this building was because, again, Pan Am was on there and the symbol of that blue globe. And so at that time, that was the largest commercial building in the world. It was towering over everything in its vicinity, and it was 60 floors high. Okay? Now, stay with me. There's a reason why I'm... Uh, again, talking about all of this you, uh, and telling you that this is leading us into uh, some things that's going to help us see the effects of the Tower of Babel. So if you were, uh, but at that time, here's the interesting thing. At that time, if you were to look at the graph of Pan Am shares and the, uh, the graph of their fortunes of the company, you can almost pinpoint the decline of the Pan American Airlines at around the very time that they built this very tall building. Uh, so at the time that uh, they were at the height of their success, they were at the, the pinnacle of, uh, and no doubt they felt like they were going to be, the, uh, continue to be the world dominance, right, in uh, airlines. And they were going to, uh, their success was going to last for a long time. But Interestingly enough, after they built this building that stood taller than any other commercial building in its vicinity, their money or their wealth or their success began to decline. And so uh, you can almost pinpoint it to that moment. So as you look at over the decades from that point to when they begin to decline, uh, you can put it right back at that moment when they began, uh, when they built that building. And so uh, that new building that was facing New York and all four points of the compass, right? North, south, east, and west, right? It was off the grid, so uh, it was uh, going all, uh, facing all directions. And so, uh, you know, pretty, pretty, I'm sure that the, um, uh, you know, the CEO and the president of Pan Am, uh, you know, at the top of their pinnacle, there was a, uh, there was a documentary about the Pan American uh, Airlines, if you uh, ever watch it, I'm a, nerd. I watch documentaries and I love history. I watch things like that. And so uh, you can kind of see how things uh, evolved and then they uh, declined. And so uh, my point being, I said that to uh, say that we can put that in context with other similar uh, uh, things that happening. In 1999, the Deutsche Bank recognized that there was a strange curse that was attached to tall buildings. Okay, we're talking about uh, from, uh, you know, 1967 when they built that 
or uh, and built that tall building uh, until uh, then in 1999, there began to be a pattern. Everybody say pattern. pattern. Okay, there's a pattern. Understand that. There's a pattern to sin. You, you realize that? And the Bible tells us that, that you can only get so far, and then the end of that is death. It's only going to last so long, and it'll be a pattern. So if you don't change your pattern, if you don't change your habits, if you don't discipline yourself to follow after the Word of God, you're going to fall into that same pattern of sin. It's just going to happen, okay? Uh, but uh, interestingly, again, the Deutsche Bank recognized that there was a strange curse that seemed to be uh, attached to tall buildings. Now, we know that the world uses words like luck and coincidence. They throw those words out there, you know, good luck. It's hard, you know, as a Christian, I, you know, sometimes if I'm writing to someone, I'm, I'm, I'm wishing them peace and blessings. And I catch myself saying good luck. I'm like, you know, luck is not even... A thing, so you know, trying to trying to come up with a, a a better word for that. But the world throws out luck and coincidence. That uh, uh, and and when do they do that? When does the world use words like "oh, that was just luck" or "that was just a coincidence"? They do that when they can't explain what's happening. They do that when they're trying to conceal something. Or they're trying to uh, uh, hide what's really going on. A lot of times people will throw out, oh, well, that's just coincidence. Because they don't want to recognize that there's something underlying that's causing that to happen. Okay? So uh, uh, the world would uh, look at that and uh, they, they say, oh, well, that's just coincidence that they come up with that in 1999. Uh, or, you know, that's just a, a, a string of bad luck. It's just something that... Happened. It's just something that was there. But how many knows that there's no such word in God's language for luck or coincidence? No such thing as coincidence in the Hebrew language. It's not a word. Because with God, there's no coincidence in anything, right? Uh, because all coincidence does is it just conceals or camouflages a lesson that needs to be learned. So that's how the world system, that's how the enemy has got the... Uh, uh, the, the world to look at patterns, to look at things that uh, we see in the Word of God uh, because they're just trying to, uh, uh, you know, cover up uh, something that needs to be learned. And uh, it's easy just to, to throw it off there. But how many knows that uh, God gives us, amen? Uh, he tells us that there are secret things and that He wants to reveal the secret things to his people. I say it all the time. God is not trying to catch anybody by surprise when Jesus returns. He's not trying to catch somebody off guard, hide around the, the, the bush and jump out and boo and try to get you and catch you. He's giving you enough Amen. He's not uh, 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 trying to keep it from you. And so when you see all these things happening, it's not coincidence. You know, we know that God conceals things in the Word of God, but God conceals to reveal. He conceals it because He wants to reveal it, but He needs us, amen, to, uh, uh, to study. He needs us to go in deeper. If God gave us all the answers and all the revelation, oh, Lord. It, we would be so much more messed up than we already are, right? And so coincidence just really conceals or it even camouflages a lesson that needs to be learned. Because what happens when, uh, uh, when, the, when somebody says, oh, well, that was just coincidence? Well, people don't pay attention. 
they write it off, right? They're like, oh, okay. Make, so they don't try to look any deeper. They don't try to look any further into, well, maybe there's something behind that. So, you know, if you keep finding yourself in the same place, doing the same thing, and find yourself coming across the same situations, it's not coincidence. There's a lesson there's something concealed in there that God's trying to reveal to you, and the enemy would want you to just, you know, play it off and say, oh, no, that's nothing. So when, you know, when the world says, well, that just happened by coincidence, so if they would say, well, you know, that uh, in 1999 when the Deutsche Bank uh, has decided that, you know what, we see a pattern here, that we're looking and we're recognizing that what do all of these situations have in common? Tall buildings. That would be the one thing we all have in common. So there seems to be some kind of curse connected there. That can't be coincidence, right? We know that because there's no such thing. There's no such thing as karma. We don't use that word. Now that's about as new age as you can get. So try to stay away from karma. Karma's not a real thing. Jesus said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I shall repay. He will take care. And it also says we reap what we sow. That's karma. If you cast your bread upon the water, it'll come back to you. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. With whatever measure that he meets that sowing, that's the measure that he will get in return. That's universal. That's not even a covenant thing. Okay? That's how it is. Yes. So can you give me like an idea of what I can say to people that are saved, delivered, but don't know the spiritual reality to Christianity. I don't even know how to say it, but so they'll say, I don't want bad karma, but they don't realize that's not biblical. All you can do is give them the scripture I just gave you that says, you know what? The Bible says you reap what you sow. If you sow righteousness, you will reap righteousness. So if you don't want anything bad coming, don't be sowing any kind of mess. <laughs> don't be sowing mess. If you sow a mess, you're going to have to get a message before you reap. Okay, and you don't want to do that, all right? So, uh, uh, so I get the world would might say, or, or I guess you could say on that side. So, uh, tall buildings bring bad luck. Remember, it isn't luck. There's no such thing as luck. So uh, that's what uh, you know. You have to understand. And again, I've got a point and a reason for it saying all that I'm saying to kind of set the ground. So now we can go back to uh, even further back in 1875, back in New York in Manhattan, the Western Union uh, built a big headquarters there uh, in 1875. It was so bright and that building was so big that it served as a beacon for ships coming into the New York Harbor. So it was such a big bright building. Now remember, this is in 1875. We don't have, a, there's not a whole lot of, uh, of growth and technology, and there's not a whole lot of, uh, of, of development, uh, you know, like even in the 1960s when uh, the Pan American headquarters was built. So, so think about that. It was so bright, again, that uh, the ships coming into New York Harbor kind of used it as a beacon or a lighthouse to be able to know uh, where they were going. Now, a year after it opened, there was a man by the name of Alexander Graham Bell. Everyone knows what the Western Union was, right? Uh, for telegrams, okay? That's the way they could get 
you know, a mess to someone. They would, uh, they would, would, would send a telegram and they would have to take it all the way uh, to that person. But a year after they opened this big, bright building, there was a man by the name of Alexander Graham Bell. He went there having just invented the telephone. Now, Alexander Graham Bell went there uh, because he wanted to offer uh, the invention to um, the head of the Western Union. Uh, his name was William Orton because he didn't have the money to pursue it. But he knew that he was on to something. So he thought, again, the Western Union, this big, uh, uh, successful company that dealt with communication already, right? So he went and presented that uh, uh, to the president or to the head of Western Union. Well, the president or the, the head, uh, William Morton, said that he felt like it had too many flaws as a means of communication to be successful long term, so he turned it down. He turned down the invention uh, of Alexander Graham Bell. So Alexander Graham Bell determined that he was going to pursue this. He started a little company, and he called it Bell, the Bell Company, uh, which began to supersede the Western Union and the telegrams uh, and that to where they became so insignificant uh, in the communication world uh, that not long after they opened their building, they began to become obsolete. Okay? So uh, he had the opportunity there, uh, but he felt like that it was not going to be anything long term. They turned it down. Alexander Bell. Uh, started his own little company, and of course we know what the telephone did, right? The telegram went way out, it didn't very long. But again, understand that it wasn't long after they built this big building and opened this building that this began to happen. Now, 100 years later, go forward 1975, AT&T built their headquarters uh, in New York, and that was a massive skyscraper. Everybody say skyscraper. Anybody not know what a skyscraper is? Okay, good. Uh, so uh, they built a massive skyscraper. Uh, the chairman of AT&T at the time, uh, uh, his name was, last name was Brown, I believe. Uh, but he was under a court order to split AT&T. You remember when uh, you had to pay for long distance, right? You remember when you called long distance, you had to pay for it. And then you, you started having to have a long distance plan. Right, everything had its own yeah. plan, <laughs> and 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 you had to decide then you had how many minutes that you could spend long distance. When you know when Luann and I were dating in 1992, it was long distance to talk on the phone, and we would spend two, three, four hours talking on the telephone. <laughs> now I hate talking on the phone. I'm not a telephone talker. Anybody that knows me well enough knows that I'm not much of a phone talker, um, and I get made fun of because of it. But anyhow, uh, we we spent a lot of money. We didn't go on dates, but we paid a lot of distance bills uh, because she lived in Soda County and I lived here. That's, that's just how we communicated. And so, you know, uh, the long, long distance was expensive. So he had to decide whether he was going to keep long distance or he was going to keep uh, the local companies, which uh, interesting enough, they called them baby bells, uh, whether he was going to keep the long distance or he was going to keep the baby bells, which were the local companies, which at that time provided the last bit of communication to every house in America. So after building that new building, uh, Brown decided to keep long distance, but there was no real money to be made 
in a long distance uh, because the real money was made in the last bit of connection to the homes because everyone would choose a home phone over long distance. So they didn't call long distance unless it was an emergency. So there wasn't a lot of money to be made uh, in that. And so AT&T was bought out. I remember it was never bought out by SBC. All of those changes, right? SBC bought out AT&T. Now, they eventually kept the name AT&T because of uh, people recognizing the marketing. Uh, but again, understand, I'm telling you this because this began to take place not long after they opened and built this massive skyscraper. Now, why would, why would again, why do all these companies build these large, big buildings? Because they are, right? They are wealthy. They feel like, you know, this is it. We're going to be around for a long time. Uh, we're going to dominate uh, this field. We're going to keep this uh, uh, significant. Uh, but again, we see some things beginning to happen. So um, I'm showing you again a pattern. So stay with me. If you're bored, hold tight, okay? This is important, all right? So then you have the Sears Tower. Amen. How many remembers the Sears Tower in Chicago? Uh, that was in Chicago. That opened in 1973. That was a 110-story building or tower. So we would call that really kind of a skyscraper as well. At the time, they were the largest retailer in the world, so they thought they should have the largest headquarters. And at the time, that was the one of the largest headquarters in America, and even in the world. And I think it was, I forget, I think it was like, 25th um, in in the world and uh, like third or fourth in in the United States. I don't remember all of that, so so don't quote me. But because they were the largest retailer in the world, they thought they should have the largest headquarter. Okay, but their stocks began to decline. We all know that Sears bought Kmart, right? All of it. Now they're obsolete. They had to. Go out of business, right? Uh, and so we know what happened to them. Are you seeing a pattern? I'm not making this up, and it's not coincidence, and it's not bad luck. It's a pattern. This is what uh, this is what the Deutsche company started recognizing. They started realizing there's some kind of curse attached to tall buildings. Look at the World Trade Center, the Twin Towers. Okay, look at that. Look what happened. Tragic, but look what happened. Okay, look at, look at uh, uh, what happened. So am I saying that every tall building is doomed? Of course not. I'm not saying that. Okay? I'm not saying that every tall building is doomed. But in God's blueprint, which is the word of God, right? The word of God is God's blueprint for life. If you follow that blueprint, you will build a life centered around righteousness, holiness, worship, Love, devotion, peace, covenant in Jesus Christ that will lead you to eternity with him, okay? That's God's blueprint. That's why people who don't even serve Jesus can be good moral people. Remember, once again, because if they follow that blueprint, then they're going to at least stay within the bounds of what God considers to be good, okay? But in God's blueprint... We see that great things do not follow the construction of really tall buildings. Okay? We can see that 
in uh, God's blueprint. Now, we can look in Genesis 11, uh, beginning with verse 1, going verses 1 through 9. This is actually will be our text scriptures uh, for this study. But let's look at Genesis 11. Now, remember, uh, you know, we just wrapped up. Noah's off the boat, or the ark, excuse me. Uh, he's off the ark. His, his, his sons, their wives, and uh, the animals, and his wife, they're off the ark. Um, they uh, began to populate the earth again, right? The world has been cleansed. Remember, God's default uh, position is chaos. So the world was in chaos. God said we have to, uh, we have to bring, we have to speak against this, that uh, I repent forever making man. This cannot last any longer. He gave him 120 years uh, to, to get it right. Uh, and after Noah began building the ark. Remember, Noah's sons were born after Noah began to build the ark. Uh, but his sons remained righteous. Why? Remember, if you remember, we're here for the study. They remained righteous, and they were considered righteous because they followed after Noah's standard of living. Noah didn't follow after his father, right? He didn't follow after those ways that Noah loved the Lord. This was before there were any commandments. There was any worship set up. Noah found favor. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so, excuse me, so did his sons because he raised sons and not boys, right? And so, um, but anyhow, uh, uh, here, you know, now the earth has been cleansed. Uh, everyone has, has been destroyed except for uh, Noah, his family, and the animals that were on the ark. They, everyone's been destroyed. The sin has been cleansed away from the earth. Uh, everything is fresh and new, and now uh, we see the earth is beginning to be populated again. God's uh, continuing what he began. And, for, and, and chapter 11, Genesis 11, brings us to that time that says the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick, and burn them throughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven. Let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. Just right there, can you imagine that? <laughs> from the beginning of their time, right? At their birth, because they're repopulating. So it was just Noah and, you know, uh, his three sons. And his, so there was eight human beings when the world was cleansed. And they began to, uh, to multiply. So now all of these ones born here, everyone talked the same language. And then all of a sudden, nobody could understand anybody. That'd freak you out. With me, anyway. Right? So, sorry. 
that the Midianites. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore, it is the name called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Okay? So now, do you see that pattern there? Why were they building the tower? The Bible says because they were doing well, and they said, oh, we got this. We're, 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 we're ready to dominate. But God came down and changed that. He saw it. And let me just say this. Maybe we'll, I'm putting my foot in probably hot water here. And maybe we'll, maybe we'll, we'll do study on the, on the one blood. See, we're all one blood. We have different color skin, but we all got the same blood. Right? But this, this scattering, this is how we began to see man evolve. Can I tell you that evolution is a biblical thing? Just not in the sense that the world teaches it. Things do evolve. Uh, and, and this is this is where we begin to get uh, not only the different nations and the different languages, but they begin to scatter. They begin to go into different environments. They begin to go into different places in the earth where the, uh, uh, the, the temperature and things were different. So they had to begin to develop different skin. They began to uh, do things that began to uh, adapt to their environment. This is how we begin to see the, the differences in a lot of the, uh, the skin tones and the pigmentation and all of the different things that are there. Uh, and so DNA is a very, very complex thing, uh, but God created it, and it's, it's a natural thing. And, uh, you know, uh, again, I'm stepping, I'm stepping out here, but I've, been, I've recently been doing some reading and some studying about the power of our words and about how that, uh, and I don't know enough to get elaborate here, but uh, just enough of what I've done. You know, the Bible tells us what? To renew our minds, right? How do we renew our mind? By the Word of God, okay? There's, there's weapons. Words are weapons in your mouth. Words are power in your mouth. That's why praise is important. That's why what comes out of your mouth is either death or life. You have the power in this little muscle to seek death or life, okay? Words are powerful. God gave us that. Uh, God also created this body. He created our brains, our minds. And so uh, I, I'm learning and that it's scientifically been proven uh, based on the Word of God, not man's uh, uh, pseudoscience or man's evolution and that, that you literally... Not only do you, can your words and the things that you speak change your way of thinking, they can alter your DNA. So if you talk negative all the time, there are there, there's, a, there's, there's part of our body in our brains, okay? You can, you can reprogram, you can renew your brain with truth and words, okay? And so... Uh, it, it's proven that if you speak death and worry and fret, that that not only can alter your mind and cause you to be depressed and cause you to be in fear and anxious, but it can also alter your DNA. Now, what do we do with our DNA? We pass it on. 
Okay, and if you pass on that to your offspring, what's going to happen? This is how we pass on spiritual curses and different things of that nature. So I know you're thinking, oh, no, he's done lost his mind. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm telling you, uh, uh, the Word of God is powerful. And it was written before science was ever, ever discovered. God had all of it in mind. But how awesome is it that God gives us the power to transform our brain and to turn our sorrow into joy, our mourning into dancing. Come on now, take off that the, the, the heaviness and put on, amen, that, uh, that cloak of joy, amen, to exchange our sorrow for joy, amen. He would not have done it and would not have told us if it were not possible. And there are folks that are living, I'm getting off, but, but again, we see all of these things coming. So what I'm, what I'm saying is, is that there's a lot of things that uh, the Word of God will provide for us. And uh, so we can, we can see that. So now we need to go back a little further uh, to see what led up to the Tower of Babel. We just read to you. This is where we're headed. Okay, we're headed to, uh, to that point to where uh, we're going to talk about the land of Shinar. We're going to talk about all of those different uh, uh, things and elements in those scriptures that we read to you in those nine verses. Uh, but we got to go back and look a little further at what led up to the Tower of Babel. Uh, so we got to look at Genesis 1 through 10, right? This is verse 11. So we're going to go through Genesis 1 through 10. Now I'm not going to go through every chapter. Uh, we're not going to do that. Uh, uh, but we can look back and, and we can see that uh, on the sixth day of creation, what did, did God say to them? He said, be fruitful and multiply. But he said, when you do that, he said, I want you to subdue the earth. So I don't just want you to procreate. I don't just want you to have babies. I don't want, want you to just multiply here. I want you to subdue the earth. Okay? Uh, he said, subdue the earth. That word subdue in the Hebrew is the word kabash. Hope you can read that. Sorry. That, in a nutshell, that means conquer. So he said on the sixth day of creation, who's he talking to, right? He said, be fruitful and multiply and conquer the earth. Kabash. Okay? It's important. That we, that we see that, that he said uh, uh, to, to, to conquer. Literally, that means to bring it under subjection. So he said, be fruitful and multiply. So as you are increasing the population, at the same time, you should be bringing the earth under subjection. Amen. Under subjection to who? The Holy Us. The one that is... Multiplying, the one that he said, kabosh, okay? The one that he said uh, uh, to subdue. So uh, what he was saying was, uh, I want you to redirect the productivity of the earth for your own purpose. So he's saying, conquer the earth, bring it under subjection, or he's saying, uh, uh, redirecting the productivity of the earth for your own purpose. Why? Because nature 
can be a danger to you, so you need to conquer it. Okay? So, he's, he said, be fruitful and multiply and kabosh, or conquer, subdue. Bring the earth under subjection. So, uh, redirect how the earth produces. You need to redirect that for your own purpose because nature can be dangerous and if you don't conquer it, it will conquer you. Okay? So, uh, he's, he's, he's beginning to uh, set a pattern. He's beginning to, to speak there. Now, here's what you got to understand. Kabosh requires cooperation. Have you ever known anybody that just doesn't like to cooperate? Like a four-year-old toddler? Come on. I know adults like that. That just they never want to cooperate. Right? But, but kabosh requires cooperation. It's just like this. You can put one person in the desert, and the survival of that one person is going to be unlikely. That one person eventually is probably not going to survive in the desert. But if you put two people in the same desert, they begin to cooperate with one another. What's going to change that? The likelihood of survival is now a little bit greater. Why? Because a lot of people working together has the power to conquer nature. A lot of people working together has the power to bring things under subjection to them. This is why Satan hates unity in the body of Christ. How good and pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the oil that flows down the beard of Aaron. Goes all the way down to the bottom of the skirt. Covers them. It's like the dew of Hermon. Okay? It is a blessing. It is favor. Why? Because when they began, we began to work together and cooperate, the survival rate goes up. The less likelihood that the elements, the surroundings, are going to have the ability to defeat us. This is why he does not like unity in families. This is why that will destroy. So you put more than one person and they can begin to push back against the elements. They can begin to push back against things and to subdue it. We talked about that some in the study of Noble with the chaos. You cannot drive. Uh, you will not. You don't have to do anything for chaos to happen. It's God's default position. But in order to keep the chaos out of your life, you've got to do something. So that means you've got to serve the Lord. You've got to pick up your cross. You've got to follow after Jesus. You've got to read, pray, worship. Your life has got to be centered around the word of God, serving God. You've got to have a focus. You've got to push back against it. If not, hell will take over. You don't have to do anything for the devil to destroy you. It will just happen. But you push back against it. But now you 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 put a, a lot of people working together, and they can begin to conquer something. Uh, in that sense, even nature. Can I tell you that it's God's intention is to be sure that all of His children we collaborate, cooperate, and communicate. Yeah, we'll write that down. 
collaborate. Cooperate. And communicate. That sounds like a marriage, don't it? We're his bride. So if you if you have collaboration, cooperation, and communication in a marriage, that's gonna work. It may not be pretty, and it may be a struggle, but it's gonna last. Okay? So God's intentions is for all of his children to collaborate, cooperate, and communicate. Alright? So we gotta we gotta we gotta understand that. By doing that, what happens? We begin to imitate him. And become creators ourselves. Now don't lose me. I'm not talking about we're little Jesuses. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. But can I tell you that God, we partner when 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 a when a father, when a man, let me say it like that, when a man surrenders his seed and the woman yields her womb. They create. They are now co-creators with the creator. That's why you honor the place of your mother and father. Okay, you honor that in your life. They may not be worthy of that honor, but you honor them in your life as co-creators with God. If it had not been for them, despite the circumstances, despite how horrible of a mother or a father they may have been, God chose them to co-create and bring you into this world. And that's a blessing. Okay? So, so when we do that, when we collaborate, when we cooperate, when we communicate, how we're talking about with each other. We're talking about God. We're talking about with each other, right? We're talking about working in unity. We're talking about more than one person. We're talking about coming together. Remember the one person in the, in the desert uh, probably will not survive, not last long anyhow. Put another person in there or, or put other people together, there's going to be some collaboration, some cooperation, and some communication that's going to make a difference. And we'll talk about that in a minute, of, of why that is. So when we do that, we imitate him, and we become creators ourselves. Look, aren't we happy as parents? You that are parents, aren't you happy when you see your kids um, uh, cooperating with others? especially other kids or even just other people being kind, not arguing and causing all kinds of chaos. Um, aren't you happy when you see your kids do those kind of things? Sure you are. Don't you think God's the same when he sees that out of us? Don't you think that our Father takes joy in us getting along, cooperating, collaborating, communicating, being in unity, right? Because essentially, essentially, this is this is unifying. That's essentially what that is. That's being in unity. And so he he takes joy in that. And so he's just as happy when his children do the same, when they cooperate and they work together with one another. Now, God gives us a gift that helps us cooperate with one another. That gift that God gives us helps us collaborate, cooperate, and communicate. 
Or we can say all of this creates. That makes sense? So when we do all of this, something's created. Not just unity, but you're gonna you're gonna come up with something that's gonna be what? It's gonna be beneficial to everybody who collaborated, cooperated, and communicated. Right? It's gonna it's gonna come together and bring that. So God gives us a gift that helps us uh, uh, collaborate, cooperate, helps us create with one another. What is that gift that God has given us that uh, that allows us to do these things? Speech. That gift is that He created us in His image. That's His gift to us. That He created us in His image. Okay, that helps us. So. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're created in his image, right? In the image of God. Uh, you know, that causes a lot of people to kind of, you know, be confused, not understand because we all look different, right? All of us have different, uh, uh, we all have the same body parts, but we all look different. Uh, our DNA, those that have created us, Decide how we look. Decides what we look like, what kind of uh, uh, features that we have. You know, dominant features that are, uh, you know, are, are, are there in uh, different uh, ethnicities and all of those kind of things. You know, you see all of that. So, uh, in his image, you know, there are really no animals that uh, cooperate or collaborate. Uh, now, nature is a thing in science. Um, called symbiotic or symbiotic relationships uh, that animals have and nature has kind of uh, given some species that and that's where two different species will benefit one another. Okay, they benefit one another. So one example of that is that uh, there, I don't know the name of it, there's a small fish that sharks will allow to go into their mouths and those fish clean their teeth. But they don't eat those fish. So that's, that, that's a symbiotic relationship. So, you know, by coming together, now that the shark has clean teeth, but the fish get a free meal. So they don't have to fight straight and worry about that. So, uh, uh, you, you know, you kind of see that there, but human collaboration is different than that, Okay. Uh, uh, the saying that we are created in God's image is knowing that just as God is unique, so are you and I. Amen. That's what being created in His image is. That just as He is unique, God, there are things that only God can do. There are things He is unique, okay? That's the same with us. Each of us have different talents, we have different interests, we have different strengths, we have different weaknesses, and that's what makes us need one another. That's why when you put more than one in the desert and they begin to collaborate, they begin to communicate, and they begin to cooperate, that one's going to think different, one's going to see the situation differently, one's going to have an interest, or one's going to have a, a, more, a more keen sense uh, of, of the surroundings maybe than the other one. The other one may have experience of the other one that they may have been there before, right? Are you, are you understanding what I'm saying? Amen. And so 
uh, that's, that's how God makes us all unique. That's why or how we are created in his image. He wants us to need one another. He made us to need one another. Look across this room. We all need each other. Just because you prefer this side of the church <laughs> over this side of the church. Just because you prefer the third row back. I saw sometimes you revival you come in and some people say, we got your seat I can, you can see the look. <laughs> you know, you ain't mad, but you're like, if I'd only got here five minutes sooner, right? Because we're just like that. Where do we get in that place, right? It's that, it's that that's my spot. That's my, that's my place. Listen, choose the front. And it's just always going to be open. Choose the front, and it's always, most of the time it's always going to be open. We've got a lot of front seaters up here. we got a lot of front people, uh, front seat people in this congregation, so, which is awesome. But uh, anyway, uh, you know, he wants us. He not only makes us to need one another, but he wants us to need one another. Because needing one another means that we will work with one another. We will begin to do what? Collaborate. Cooperate and communicate. So he made us unique so that what's unique about me will benefit you. And what's unique about you will benefit me. That's why this, this, the, the phrase, we're stronger together. That's a God-given thing. It's where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm going to show up. Right? Because there's unity. All right? God made us to need one another because when we need one another, that means we're going to work with one another. Okay? And if everybody was exactly like us, how boring would life be? You, you, I'm glad everybody ain't like me. Right? How boring would life be if everybody was like one another? See, nobody could supply you with the things that you couldn't make yourself because no one would have the talents and the skills that you didn't have. So if everyone could do the same thing, you wouldn't need what someone else has to offer. That would make, that would make you exclusive. This is why, this is how cults and things begin to evolve and how uh, the ideas uh, of those things. So, God is unique, and He created each and every one of us to be unique. Touch your neighbor and say, You're unique. Now, where did God place the symbol of our uniqueness? All of us, right? We're all met. The human body is the human body. We've all got, you know, the hand bone, the, the thigh bone. <laughs> You know, the turkey bone and the shin bone and all of the bones, right? We all have the same bones, okay? And we all are made with hands, feet, nose, eyes, hair, right? It's pretty much pretty much the same once you learn the human body. That's why a doctor, once they study the human organs, can work on any human, okay? So what is it about us? What, where did God place the symbol of our uniqueness? What makes us, outside of all of that other thing, where is that? Finger, fingers. Fingerprint. Our fingers is where 
He has put that symbol of uniqueness. What do fingers represent on our bodies? It represents our creative abilities. Whatever you put your hands to will prosper. Right? The hand represents, get your hand on the plow. Get your hands in there, get busy. Get your hands dirty. If you don't get your hands dirty, you're not going to see anything happen, right? This is where we create, right? This is a sign of, of creativity. We bring it from here to here. We, we write or we draw or we paint or we do or we build, right? We, all the things that we do, this is uh, uh, where uh, that represents. So it's important to understand what is it about our fingers that's unique. What's the difference in my finger? What is it? Your fingerprints. Your fingerprints are unique. So here's what you got to understand. That, uh, that fingerprints are spiritual. They're not biological or physical. They're spiritual. Fingerprints are spiritual. Okay? Now, identical twins. They're called identical twins. Why? Because they share the same DNA. Right? Things about them are identical. There's not a whole lot that's different uh, between one another. There might be a feature as in, you know, a little bit in their teeth or maybe, but you can look at identical twins and sometimes you can't tell them apart because they look so identical. But do they have the same fingerprints? No. No. Isn't that interesting? That they have identically everything else, even DNA, but their fingerprints are different. That they have unique fingerprints. There's no scientific explanation as to why that is. Now, there's a lot of theories, but nobody really understands how identical twins have different fingerprints. That's because it's spiritual. That's because God put that there. So that whenever, no matter if the two of them they may look alike, walk alike, act alike. I mean, you know, my brother's married to an identical twin, and I remember when he, he was dating Patty, and her and Peggy were the exact same size. They both had hair down to here, straight, parted in the middle. They all done the same, and they still act alike. But uh, when they would walk, you walked behind, and each arm, would, everything would go at the same <laughs> The right arm would go back at the same time. The right foot would go, I mean, literally. <laughs> everything. You seen for, it was... It was Literally seeing double. But the two of them together, when they could, when they would collaborate, cooperate, communicate, because God made them unique, they could come up and create something that was different. Again, because God gave them different fingerprints. It's spiritual. DNA and genetic data are only biological. But think about that. How that you have the power. See that that's what makes that's what that's what makes us different from an animal is that we've been given the gift of speech. We can communicate. We can speak words. We can communicate. Think of that. That DNA is biological, but we have the spiritual empowerment to alter that DNA so that it does not have to. Destroy us. God's pretty awesome, isn't he? He's awesome like that. So he's unique, right? Only God can do that. That's only biological. But fingerprints are an expression of our unique spiritual creativity that's imparted in its own special way to each and every one of us when we are created. And who gives us that? God. Our parents give us 
our DNA, and all of those other biological things. But God gives us our fingerprints. How awesome is that? That's why, that's what being touched by the finger of God means when he puts his fingerprint on you. And he's chosen you. Remember our message from Sunday. You're his love token. That has stuck with me this week. I've had to remind myself, God, I'm God's love token. And I'm, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the token of why he did what he did. Why Jesus died. I'm a token of that. I'm his love token. So, so, so having his finger, uh, being touched by his finger. So God is really saying that you are unique and that the mark of your uniqueness and the way you're different from any other human that ever lived is found in your fingers. Amen? And so we know you can trace somebody back with their fingerprints. And, and so God made it. So God is saying, be like me. Be like me. Be unique like I am unique. Now, now we know he's the big C. <laughs> right? He's the big creator. Right? He, he's, you know, uh, God's, God's the big C or the little C. Don't forget that. Because there are things that the big C can do that nobody can do. But there are things that God, the big C, gives the little C to be able to, to happen to bring his will and his plan to pass, right? So uh, uh, he wants you uh, uh, to be unique in your own way. Amen? So uh, how many ever 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 described somebody who's quirky? You know, you try to be spiritual and nice. Well, they're different. They just warn you they're different. Right? <laughs> they're a little, you know, they're a little, they're a little, a little eccentric. A little quirky. I'm sure that's said about me. Maybe. I don't know. But, but that uniqueness that God give them, when they bring that together, with other people, they begin to collaborate, cooperate, communicate. They begin to create, and something is done. What does it do? Mostly, it pushes back against that which is right, trying to to hinder it. So, let's look at Genesis. I'm about to. I'm about to. I think I'm about to bring this down for tonight. Are you still with me? Yeah. I know the students are up here, but they can chill. <laughs> so let's look at Genesis 4:20. They might learn something too. So now we'll, we'll talk next week about the begats a little more. We talked about the begats a little bit in the, when the, the study of Noah. Everybody skips over the begats because nobody cares who was who and what was what, but should. Okay, we'll talk about that. But, but Genesis 4 and 20 says, And Adah there, Jabal, he was the father of such as well in tents and of such as had cattle. So we see that uh, uh, Yabal is introduced here uh, as the world's first cattleman. So he's the, the world's first cattle rancher. If I can say it like that. Uh, he didn't have a ranch. But. So this is the first time that we're, we're introduced to, to uh, Yabal. That's how it's pronounced in the Hebrew. Yabal, Yabal, however you want to say it. Um, he was the father of such as well intense and of such as had cattle. So we're introduced to him for the first time that he is the world as we know it then, first cattleman, let's go to verse 21. 
And his brother's name was Yubal. That was pretty easy, right? Yubal, Yubal. Imagine screaming that out. Yubal, Yubal. Get over here. Yubal, whatever. Get over here, right? That's, you know, when you get, when you, when you become increased in, in brain capacity, um, you know, you start calling all your kids' names. You know, but then it goes over the grandkids. And, and you know, poor lady, she's the only girl, and she gets called Buddy all the time, called the rest of the boy. And she's like, I'm not a buddy. Sorry, sweetheart. But his name was Hubal. He was the father of all, such as handle the harp and organ. So his brother was the first cattleman, Yabal. Now Yubal discovered how to make music. He was the first that we're introduced to, that we're told about, that realized you can put strings on a piece of wood, tighten them up, strum them, ooh, that makes music. So he was, uh, he was uh, the first that we're uh, told about that uh, was the maker of music. Uh, so then we just go to verse 22. I think I mentioned this uh, person, when we were talking in the days of Noah, and Zillah, she also bore Tubal-Kayin, or Tubal-Kayin, an instructor and artificer in brass and iron, and the sister of Tubal-Kayin was Naamah. Remember Naamah? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, now, we're, uh, we meet Tubal-Kayin, who discovers the benefits of iron and metal. So, now, what? What we see is that, is that God made each and every one of these unique and gave them different talents and abilities. But when they begin to collaborate, cooperate, communicate, begin to work together, everybody began to benefit from that. Okay? Uh, you know, uh, Tubal Kayan, you know, we know that he discovered iron and, again, brass and iron and metal, and so now he developed tools, and he developed things that now can make life a little bit easier for the brother over here who's trying to build, who's trying to do something. He discovered that you could make, maybe make nails, I don't know, maybe make spikes that would hold something together, right? Think about, think about uh, in, in chapter 11, we said that they began to make brick. Who come up with that? Who come up with the idea of you can make bricks and you can make mortar and you can keep those bricks together? Yeah, of course, we know God did, but, but but what person put that together, right? I want to know who decided how many calories was in a ho-ho. <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? I'm being serious. Who decided how many calories is in a piece of cake? Or who decided how many calories is in, a, in an apple? Who decided that, that one makes you fatter than the other one does? Who figured that out? And who decided that? How'd they come up with that? Those are the kind of things I think about. Like, who, who decided that? Who decided that fat was fat? That this oil was bad oil, and that oil was good oil. This was like, like, who came up with that? Okay, maybe, maybe God did. I just told, I just, I kind of thought of that. But seriously, though, like, you know what I mean? Somebody had to come up with that. Somebody had to decide the chart. Who decided that that X amount of calories was good for a man my size? Who decided that? 
some old man who was twice my size. I don't know. Like, seriously, like, who decided all that? Who came up with all of these scientific things? A lot of them don't work, right? They don't work for everybody because they're all unique. So anyhow, that, this is my point, that, 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 that they complement each other. So, so Tubal Kayan became unique in creating tools who discovered uh, that this would help meet other people's needs. And so when people begin to cooperate, then we begin to, begin to bring other people and their gifts and their skills, and then things begin to grow and evolve, right? And then uh, uh, there were things that began to take place. So, uh, you know, we complement each other. And this is a gift from God. And that lets us benefit from creating, right? Or meeting or catering to one another's needs. I need you. You need me. I need your gifts. I need, this is why Paul said, one person is the pinky, one person is the toe, one person is the eye, but it's all one body. And, and it's not complete without those. They all complement each other. Okay, so we achieve a whole lot more from collaboration than we would on our own. So when we collaborate and we come together and we collaborate and we cooperate with one another and of course we communicate, right, then we're going to achieve more. So it's God's way of giving us the incentive to behave, uh, help us Jesus, to behave like brothers and sisters and get along as children of a loving God. Not a hateful God, not a not a, a distant God, not a God who's far off, not a God who's untouchable, but to behave like brothers and sisters and get along like we're kids of a loving father. Right? That's what that's what he, he it's why he did this to give us that incentive. So that's going to take us to to the next major story uh, in in the. The, as, as a picture uh, of the first 10 chapters in Genesis begins to unfold. So we're going to see that picture unfold. It's going to bring us to the Tower of, uh, of Babel. That's going to bring us there. Uh, we, we get into the major stories. And so there we see Cain and Abel. Everybody knows uh, Cain and Abel. Amen? Now, remember, uh, this is, I'm going to end here. Remember that uh, names in Hebrew mean something. You know, they didn't just name them, you know, Howard and Harry and, uh, you know, Agatha and uh, Joanne and all those. They just didn't do that. Amen. They, they, they meant something. We know that. So, uh, you know, in, in, in that major story of Cain and Abel, Cain's name means acquisitiveness or the desire to acquire, the desire to have. That's what. Cain or Cayenne is how you pronounce that in the Hebrew. I might say that back and forth. But uh, uh, it means acquisitiveness or the desire to acquire, to have. Okay? Cain's name meant something. It was a sign of something. Uh, Abel, which is Hebel in the Hebrew, his name means zero. It literally means nothing. And that's interesting since uh, Abel died and nothing was left of him. He had no opportunity to create offspring, to, to produce, to multiply, to, to benefit others by doing that, right? By giving his own unique. So 
Uh, you know, that's interesting that his name means zero when he was literally, uh, there was nothing left of him. So we see that Cain was not satisfied with just inheriting half the earth from Adam. He wanted it all. So he killed Abel, right? He had a desire to acquire. He wanted to have. Can I, can I, can I leave you with this? That if you're going to have health and you're going to have wealth, and I say that in, in a balanced spiritual manner. I'm not talking about getting rich or getting rich quick scheme, all of those kind of things. But if you're going to have health and wealth, that can only come from collaborating with other people, not eliminating them. So you can only build and you can only maintain those things by collaborating, cooperating with other people, not getting rid of them. This is why the enemy wants to isolate people in the kingdom. This is why he wants people to go off and create their own little ministry, their own little world, or he wants people to be isolated. I don't need anybody. I don't need to be there. I don't need those extracurricular things. Yeah, you do. Oh, I don't, I don't need that. I don't need that to be there. Yeah, you do. You just don't realize it. That's why we have those things, right? That's why we have the, the dinners and the parties and the get-togethers is to give people the opportunity, right, to come together and, and that kind of thing. And you say, well, I don't need that. Yeah, you do. God created you to need that. There's something in you that's going to contribute to the growth and the success, spiritually speaking, of a body. And so when that's, when, that's why when that is halted, then there's, there's, there's something that's hindering this. And you've got to figure out what that is. Okay, but God made us to need one another. He made us to, to, to work together. So I'm going to ask you to look at your and say one more thing tonight. We thought, man, man, he's not preaching. I need to do that. But, but just look at the and say, I need you. I need you. Okay, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end there. And we'll pick up next week, uh, probably talking more about the begats and the names and those things. Um, but hopefully, you're 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 seeing a pattern here, and the reason that I said some of the things that I said and laid some of the uh, that beginning foundation and that ground is because when we get to the actual story and the event of the building of the Tower of Babel. You're going to see some people, some characters, and things that, that are part of that. And you're going to see what happened and why they got to where they got to and how it's affected today. So thank you very much. Appreciate you. The little kitties are up now, so they did well. Uh, and, uh, but I appreciate you. Uh, don't forget, Sunday morning, 10 o'clock, Family Bible Training, worship at 11. Uh, and then Sunday, again, uh, our skating party Sunday evening, 4 to 6, at Skate America in Grove City. $5 a person plus your state runner, which I think is a couple bucks. I'm not real sure. But anyway, uh, we have another church that's coming, supposed to come and fellowship with us. So we're looking for a good time for that. But we appreciate you. Uh, and hopefully you, you got a little bit of a foundation here. And I uh, appreciate your attention. Stand with us. Amen. Amen. Stand.